Grab a seat. We are somewhere between the fact of darkness and the hope of light. Indeed, I think that is not only where we are, but who we are. We are the people who walk in darkness as to one degree or another. People have always walked in darkness. Maybe that's what makes Advent and Christmas season so universally, even if not essentially or truthfully, celebrated. There's a reason at this time of the year, all across the globe, all across cultures and um, and, and all kinds of different backgrounds, even different religious backgrounds, this season tends to create an energy unlike any other season in, in really in the world, maybe other than the World Cup. And maybe, just maybe, the reason for this is because we all know that we're somewhere between the fact of darkness and the hope of light. Whether we can name it or not, we know that we are in the dark and that the dark is in us. Nevertheless, we're ones who don't settle in the dark, but ones who wait for light to come, for a splendor and a holiness to heal us and hollow us, to liberate us from the dark. I think every one of us, our neighbors, including ourselves, long for this. And doesn't Advent and Christmas, with all the songs and symbols, all the, the decorations, all the lights, all the glitter, all the glamour, doesn't it unearth at its core the hope of light and the fact of darkness? Doesn't it, in the words of John the Beloved, speak to the truth that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That which has been made was life in Him, and the life was the light of humanity. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, has come, was coming into the world. Faith, if you remember, as we've been talking about the last few weeks leading up to Advent, is a way of seeing in the dark. And the darkness that still persists, the darkness in our world, the darkness within us. It is what makes the darkness endurable, says one author. And the language of faith is a language that's full of poetry and symbol. From the word sparking life and the light walking among us in John's gospel to the wolf dwelling with the lamb as the child leads the calf and the lion in Isaiah's prophecy to the psalmist's command to graze on God's actions like contented sheep in safe pasture. That is the kind of language that faith speaks. The danger, contends one author, is that either we dismiss it merely as fairy tale, sentimentality, or seasonal spirit, that we see all the things of Christmas. We know the story of the Christmas tree, of, of the stocking, of where all these, these things come from in our history, in our faith. And maybe we get caught up in it and we think of it as only a sentimentality, a seasonal spirit, something to enjoy for these next 27 days or so. Or maybe we get caught up in it by its fairy tale power to enchant us with its beauty. And we forget that its whole point is the point of all poetry and symbol, is to point us to its truth. And this story that faith tells in the fairy tale language of faith is not just that God is, but that God comes. That God arrives here. The true light to us has come. For us has come. It is true, not just the way that fairy tales are true, but as the truest of all truths. That the things we do at Christmas, while we may do them all the time, Every year, year in and year out, 
while the things that we see at Christmas, all the decorations, all the symbols, all the traditions around us may have, may become either over-sentimentalized or maybe just are something that we just kind of pass through. The fact is, they speak to a truth that is more than true. It is the truest of truths. And I believe we all know this truth, at least in the sense that we can attest to it in a propositional fact, that God has come, that God is with us, that he came for us. But here's the thing. Here's why we do these things year in and year out. Because the poetry, the symbolism of faith and of the things of faith, the magical generative power of the words that we use in this time of season, show us something we think we already know. And in that showing, show us something more. And so I want to invite us in the midst of um, kind of what tends to be a busy season, right? I mean, we move into the Christmas after Thanksgiving and our schedules get full. They're full of fun things, they're full of family things, they're full of wrapping up things for work and all that kind of stuff. I want to invite us in these times that we have together um, on Sunday afternoons to draw out a bit of the something more, to rest in and take advantage of the Sabbath day of Advent, reflect on our place in person and the fact of darkness and the hope of light through maybe doing something that might feel a little uncomfortable or maybe not everybody's cup of tea, but doing it hopefully in a way that allows us to all, again, encounter something more. And that's, that's what we're going to do is we're going to read a poem and reflect on it. Sit in it a little bit. Let it do, what again, what poetry and symbol have meant to do. To take something that we already know, because we already know these things that we're about to read, but to show us something more, and specifically to ask God to show us something more. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a poem for us. And then after I read it, we're just going to walk back through it real slowly, kind of pointing out some of the things. And then we're just going to sit and uh, have some kind of guided meditation on it, okay? That's what, we're going to, that's what we're going to do this Advent season as a faith family. We'll, we'll, do all the, we'll sing all the songs. We'll have all the traditions, all the symbols, all the stories. But for a few minutes each Sunday, we're going to take a time to sit in the power of words, of words spoken by others that speak truth to us and ask God to show us more. So here's the poem, a poem called Annunciation by Scott Carnes. Deep within the clay, and oh my people, very deep within the holy earthen, compound of our kind, arrives of one clear star-illumined evening, a spark, igniting once again the tinder of our lately banked noetic fire. She burns, but she is not consumed. The dew lights gently, suffusing the pure fleece. The wall comes down, and do you feel the pulse? We all become the kindled kindred of a king, whose birth thereafter bears to all a bright nativity. Deep within the clay, the dirt from which Adam was formed, the clay jars that Paul says contain the light of God himself shining out of the darkness. O oh, my people, very deep within the holy earth and compound of our kind, entirely in the complexity of our, our humanity, in our darkness and in our brokenness, made in every respect like his brothers and sisters, as the author of Hebrews puts it, arrives of one clear star-illumined evening. Maybe the most famous story of Advent. 
in a season that looks for a coming, like the people of God in the story Cohen read for us, for an arrival, but not just an arrival, but an arrives in the present continuous tense. Arrives and keeps arriving. What arrives and keeps arriving? A spark igniting once again the tinder of our lately banked noetic fire. The light of humanity shining in the darkness, coming to enlighten everyone, as John says, while beginning with the announcement to Mary that she would bear God's son is about arriving once again at the place where it started, the holy, good, original blessing of the Genesis moment when God breathed life into our lungs, an arrival home. And how? Via fire rekindled, a tender, a knowledge, that's what noetic means, reborn of who and whose we truly are. Where does the hope and the spark come from? It comes from outside of us, but is birthed within us, Rit, lit aflame again, a spark ignited that is not wholly new, but a relighting of life in line with the faithful of our history. She burns, but is not consumed. Like Moses in the burning bush, Mary became the sacred ground of God's dwelling. Literally. Holiness arriving, not to destroy, but to bring freedom and life. The dew lights gently suffusing the pure fleece. Like Gideon, we wonder if we are worthy and capable of God's favor and calling. And like Gideon, God responds to our question with a resounding yes. Letting dew fall only on the fleece. Letting the payment for our sins fall only on the pure fleece of the lamb slain. The wall comes down. What divided us from God and one another, like the walls of Jericho and the temple veil, come falling down, crashing down at the sound of the word and of his work. Just as Isaiah said. And do you feel the pulse? We, no longer you, no longer just you, not you by yourself, but we, we in history, we now and we forevermore, all become the kindled kindred of a king whose birth thereafter bears to all the bright nativity. Can you feel the life of light? The life in you of God's life, God with you and us, God for you and us, and the hope of light the light of the world himself, not merely in the future brought into the world, but brought into the world through his life in you and through us. That your birth, your rebirth, is a bright nativity, a daily living in the light and the hope of the world. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, May his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all the surpassing power is from God and not from us. So for a moment, let's settle into the silence of this space and the solitude of our seats. Close your eyes and bow your head if you want. Breathe in, hope comes. Breathe out from you.
Breathe in and hold it for just a few seconds and breathe out from you. Hope comes from you. When your mind wanders in the silence to activities and obligations, just breathe and pray. Hope comes from you. Now in the quieting of mind and heart and the stilling of the body, like those who have come before us who waited in faith, who journeyed home in the fact of darkness and in the light of hope, let us see with faith that while it is still a very dark world, the darkness is different because Jesus keeps getting born into it in our bright nativities. Let's ask the poem's question in hopes of being shown something more. Up on the screen will be the last lines of the poem. We'll have about five minutes to sit, to ponder, to ask, to see. Let me pray, and then I'll let you be quiet. Father, we come because (laughs) you have made your light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God, of you, of your glory displayed in the face of Christ. And though this treasure is in jars of clay, it's in such that and through such that your power is made known. That because Jesus came, because he rekindled, as even Cohen read earlier, um, the promise, the sureness of your plan, to not disperse us, but to bring us into the fold. That our rebirth, are you born again in this world? 